Matthew chapter 6. As we turn to God's sacred word, I need to start by stating the obvious. You heard the text read just a few minutes ago. It is a text about worry or anxiety. We all have circumstances that can provoke us to worry. I have them. You have them. It may be what I just announced, the racial tensions of our times. It may be a child who has wandered far and may even be putting him or herself in danger. It may be a bill that you cannot pay. It may be a retirement that you are not financially ready for. It may be a diagnosis that is coming this week or that came last week and leaves you in fear. It may be a list of roles and responsibilities that you feel inadequate for. It may be a coming political crisis that seems to be coming upon us. It may be ongoing justice. The list can go on and on and on. We all have things going on in our lives that can tempt us to worry. And Jesus says here in this text that we are not to be anxious. We are not to worry. Jesus has in view here, if you look at the text, and I hope it's still open in front of you, Matthew chapter 6, he has in view here, first of all and foremost, what we might call money worry. Worry about money and the things, the stuff that money buys. Look at the text. In verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Notice, notice the word at the beginning. Therefore I tell you. You know this, right? That word, therefore, is there to connect what he is about to say to what he has already said. So what has he already said in verse 24? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. Do you see the connection? Serving money, one expression of it is being anxious about what money buys. Jesus is talking about the same issue when he talks in verses 20, 19 and 20, laying up treasures in heaven, using our money for the kingdom of God and for the true needs of others. He is talking about the same issue there as he is when he talks about worry down in verses 25 and following. In other words, both, my friends, both selfishness with the money that you have and worry about the money you don't have, both are an expression of money love. Both, Jesus says, are serving the money master. It's important. When it, when it comes to money and wealth, Jesus doesn't play favorites. 
The rich are not guiltier than the poor. It's a temptation to think that way, isn't it? There's just an automatic impulse. The rich are bad. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The therefore indicates that worry about a lack of money is as much an expression of money love as hoarding the money we have. You can be a rich materialist and a poor materialist. King Jesus teaches us that materialism or the love of the money master is not defined by what you have, but also by what you want. It's it's not just defined by what you sock away in a bank account. It's also defined by what you worry about on Tuesday morning. Materialism is not just defined by by what you are spending your money on, but also about what you are anxious about. Not just defined by what you are storing up, but also by what you are seeking. Not just defined by your assets, but also by your anxieties. Do you follow what Jesus is saying here? Put it like this. The materialistic sin of the rich is selfishness. The materialistic sin of the poor is what? Covetousness. A longing for more. At the end of the day, neither is more sinful than the other. Both are an attempt to serve God both God and money. Now for the sake of application, I want us to consider anxiety not just as it connects to money, but as it connects to all of life. The word that Jesus uses here is an interesting word, the, the word for uh, being anxious. It's, it's a word that if you, if you dig down into the roots of it in the Greek language that uh, is translated here, uh, it's a word that speaks of division and distraction. The idea is that the mind is so consumed by what I don't have or I think I need that I am, my mind is divided. My mind is distracted by it. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't be anxious about your life, about having food and clothes and the like. Don't let your apparent lack of these things or need for these things divide your heart. Keep your heart and your mind focused on the things that matter most. Now, Jesus is kind to us. He doesn't just give us the command. He gives us some very helpful truths to help us obey the command. All right, so what I want us to do is look at five solutions to the worry problem in our lives. And these five solutions are really truths. These are truths about God. By the way, at the end of the day, and I don't mean to be simplistic, and I don't mean to be naive, and I, I don't mean to, to overly simplify things that are complicated and hard and deep, but at the end of the day, it is what we think about God that determines how we handle everything else. And if our thoughts about God are right, then God is going to give us grace to handle the difficult things of life. So they, here are five 
truths about God that can help you and can help me in our battle against worry. Truth number one. Truth number one, God alone is God. God alone is God. That's the point of verse 27. Keep your Bibles open. Verse 27, where Jesus says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. Another possible translation, which of you by being anxious can add a cubit or 18 inches to his height? What The translation is a little difficult. Either way, the point is the same. We cannot think or wish or worry ourselves into one extra minute of life. Neither can we wish or worry as much as children try to do this You cannot wish or worry yourself into an extra inch of height. There are some things, indeed just about everything, in our lives that only God can do. Only God can do. And when we worry about stuff, we are acting as if we can do things we can't do. We are, we are acting as if we control things that we don't control. We can fix things that we, do, we can't fix. We act as if we are God and God isn't God. That's what worry is. I'm going to fix this. Any of you done that this week? Just sat and strained and stressed your mind and your heart over, how can I fix this? How can I make this better? There are so many things, indeed almost everything in our lives, that God and God alone can fix. And the sooner we let God be God, the sooner sooner we know that God is God alone, the, the quicker we will, well, we will let go of our own um, worried, anxious efforts to be God. Truth number one is that God alone is God. Truth number two, and hear this, hear this, this is in different ways as we sang earlier, as we heard prophetic words, as the scriptures were read, this this came to my heart personally, and then as I have thought about different ones within our congregation, uh, this came to my heart for each of you. Truth number two, God is the Father. God is the Father who loves you much. God is the Father who loves you much and knows your need. Jesus says, I'm, I'm commanding you, I'm urging you not to worry, but here's something you need to know. If in fact you're going to be able to obey that command with any kind of consistency and grace, God is the Father who loves you much and knows your needs. Look at verses 26 and then 31 and 32. Verse 26 Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Another way of saying, doesn't God love you more than He loves the birds? 
Are you not more cherished by God? Are you not more valued by God? And down to verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, unbelievers, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus here is declaring our value, our worth to God who is our Heavenly Father and who knows all we need. And and notice it, just side note. Notice he says that we are more valuable than the birds. It's off track, but it just has to be said. The evolutionist will tell us that there really is nothing different between us and the birds other than evolution. That the animals are worth as much as we are. We hear that all the time in today's world. It's a lie. God made the birds. He cares for the birds. Not one falls to the ground apart from his attention. But he doesn't love the birds as much as he loves you. We as human beings are made in the image of God. We as human beings, whatever our color, whatever our culture, whatever our class, whatever our circumstances, we are made in the image of God. We bear the dignity of God. We are valued as, as the, the reflections of God's glory and God's image and God's personality and God's character in this world. And on top of that, He is our Father who loves us. He is not just our our Creator like with the birds. Uh, He is our Father who has chosen us and loved us and made us His very own. God loves us and loves us much and knows our need in the midst of our crisis and in our anxiety somehow by the Spirit of God. May May He touch our hearts and may He grip our hearts and and may we hear the voice, may we hear the voice from our Father. I love you very much. Some of you are going through stuff in some ways is far deeper than money stuff. You're going through relationship stuff that you're looking at and you're saying, I don't see any way out. This, This just fills me with fear. This just fills me with anxiety. Fills me with worry. How, 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 how can we get through this? Uh, just know this. The Father loves you very much. He's not going to let go of you. He loves you very much and He knows what you need. Jesus says in the midst of your worry, in the midst of your anxiety, know this to be true. God loves you very much. And He knows what you need. Third truth. Third truth, God wants us to care first about what matters most. God wants us to care first about what matters most. In the middle of our anxiety and worry, He he wants us to get our priorities in place. He wants us to care first and most about the things that matter most, and that will help us with our worry. Jesus actually gets at this in two ways here. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? 
and the body more than clothing. Friends, that's a jaw dropper right there. Because when you think about food and clothing, they're about as basic as what it gets as it gets when it comes to life. You can't keep life alive without food and clothing. And yet Jesus says, nope, nope, those aren't the more, most important things. Life is more than food and clothing. I can understand Jesus over in Luke 12 where he says, take care, be on guard against covetousness for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. I get that. Life doesn't consist in having lots and lots of stuff. But here in Matthew 6, he's saying life doesn't really even consist of having food or having, having clothes. What does he mean? He, said, he, he means there is something more important than being alive. There is something more important than having another breath. There is something more important than having another meal. Now what in the world can that be? Look at verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This, This is radical. This is King Jesus saying this, this is the cost of discipleship. This is what has to happen if you want to be in my kingdom. This is the set of priorities that you have to have in your life. You need to realize there's something more important than food and clothing. There's something more important than being alive, and that is seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Nothing is more important than the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What that means is nothing is more important, first of all, than that I know I'm in the kingdom of God. That I know that by faith in Jesus Christ who loved me and died for me on the cross and rose from the dead and sits on the throne of heaven by faith in Him to atone for my sin and and provide me salvation by faith in Him the throne of my heart has a, has a changeover. It's no longer me on the throne. It's Jesus on the throne. It is, it is coming to that place where I am surrendered to Christ. He is King Jesus in my life. And now, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I am committed to advancing the kingdom of God, to making sure that the people I meet, who are my neighbors, who are my friends, who are my co-workers, whoever they are, they hear about King Jesus so that they too can come to faith in King Jesus, bow their knee to King Jesus, give the throne of their hearts over to King Jesus and the kingdom advances. Then as that person shares it with another and then another and then another, we seek first the kingdom of God in its advancement and in its progress in the world. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Make sure, here's what it's about, folks. It's making sure that when you get up in the morning, your first priority is King Jesus. Not exaggerating, not overstating. That's what Jesus is teaching. 
Make sure that when you think about your life circumstances, when you think about your hardships, when you think about your anxieties, when you think about your sufferings, when you think about your blessings, when you think about your prosperity, whatever it is, make sure you're thinking about this first and foremost, King Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In the Sermon on the Mount and in Scripture, Righteousness has many layers to it. There's personal righteousness in the sense of I want to live my life imitating the righteousness and the righteous character of God. I want to be a righteous person. I want to be a holy person. I want to be a person who does what is right. Seek first the kingdom of God and and imitating His righteousness at a personal level. But it's more than that in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember in chapter 6, right at the beginning, Jesus says, be careful about practicing your righteousness before men. And then what's the first thing he talks about? When you give to the poor. See, that's a social righteousness. That's social justice. That's being concerned horizontally. True righteousness, the righteousness that God, Jesus says we are to seek first in our lives is there's a vertical component to it. It's being righteous like God. Then there's a horizontal component to it where we seek righteousness. We seek justice. We seek to make sure that as best we can, we are giving to others what is their due. That's justice. And that when we see that what is their due is not being given to them, we speak up in their behalf. We seek righteousness. Jesus says, if you want to get over anxiety and worry, care about the things that matter the most. Set your heart on the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And it's just like anything else. When you set your mind and your heart on one thing, you can't be thinking about something else. Right? Like some of you came in here thinking about the Eagles game. Right? Kind of hard to think about anything else. What happened? Did they win, lose? (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't mean to introduce a downer uh, on on your afternoon, your evening here. if I, you've heard this before, right? If, if, I, if I say to you, think about the number eight. And think about it. Think number eight, number eight, number eight, number eight. Get it in there. And now, stop thinking about the number eight. <laughs> Hard to do, isn't it? Think about the number five. Think about the number five. Think about it. Guess what? You're not thinking about the number eight anymore. Uh, Some of you think you are, but you're not. (laughs) If you're focused on one thing, you can't be focused on another. If we are focused, if we live our lives, if we wake up in the morning, we plan our days, we plan our lives about seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean always be involved in church business. No. So you, you moms, 
who are at home with your children. You are seeking first the kingdom of God. Those kids are going to be raised up as soldiers of Jesus Christ. They're going to be members of the kingdom. You are serving the kingdom wonderfully. And you who go out and work and work and work so that you can provide for your family and provide for the church and provide for the mission, you are, you, you are seeking the kingdom of God and serving the kingdom of God. So don't get all over-spiritual about this as if it means you always have to be praying or always having to be witnessing. It just means that King Jesus is King. It just means He's on the throne. It just means that your life is ruled by the Lord. You're not serving two masters, you're serving one. That's what Jesus is getting at here when he says to the rich, don't be selfish. He's saying, put me on the throne. When he says to the poor, don't be covetous and anxious. He's saying, put me on the throne. He wants us to care about what matters most. And then, number four. God makes promises that He will not and cannot break. I just inserted the two words and cannot right now. Hadn't thought of it before, but what happened was as I read my statement in my notes, God makes promises He will not break. The Spirit reminded me of Titus chapter 1 where it says that God cannot lie. So God makes promises that He will not break because He cannot break them. His integrity is so sure. His faithfulness is so sure. His Word is so good. His promises are so absolute, so certain. So certain. He makes promises he will not break because he cannot break them. And so, when he says to us, do I feed the birds? I will feed you. Take it to the bank. If he says to you, do I clothe the grass of the field in flowers and adornment that that Solomon wouldn't have even dreamed of? Well, I'm going to put clothes on your back and on your children's back. Does he say, seek first my kingdom and and my righteousness and I will add to you all these other things Then I'm going to add to you all these other things. I am going to provide for you in Philippians 4. My God shall supply all your needs, all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean He's going to make us prosperous. Be done with the prosperity lie. It doesn't mean you can have an excuse to not go to work. No, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat, Paul said. It doesn't mean that somehow or other, every single need in your life is always going to be met in the way you think it needs to be met. Because God knows your needs better than you do. Just like a parent knows the children's needs better than the child, God knows our needs better than we know our needs. So there may be sometimes, as happened with Jesus, as happened with Paul, as happened with believers in the New Testament, and is happening all over the world where physical needs 
may not be met, but God reaches down in other ways and touches the heart to provide spiritual needs. So that in the words of Paul in Philippians 4, I can be hungry and I can be well fed. I can have want and I can have an abundance. Whatever the case, I have learned to be content because my God supplies all my need according to his riches in glory. God makes promises. He will and cannot break. And then truth number five. God calls us to a 24-hour-at-a-time way of life. God calls us to a 24-hour-at-a-time way of life. Matthew 6 and verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love this. This isn't a cliche. This is, this is a way of life Jesus is getting at here. Here's how to do life. 24-hour-a-day increments. Sometimes you have to break it down into 12. Sometimes 6. Sometimes Two, sometimes ten minutes. Where you are trusting God in the moment. You are trusting God in the day. You are not looking beyond today. Because as soon as you look beyond today, it gets overwhelming. God says to us through His Son Jesus, live your life in 24-hour increments. I recall a conversation now 30 what, six and a half years ago, that a conversation I had with the Lord. Um, I was 23 years old and was uh, invited to be the pastor of a small church in New Jersey. And I was pondering this. I was wrestling with this decision. And, and as I was thinking about it and thinking about my age... Um, I realized that the likelihood was that if I began, became a pastor, then I would be a pastor for 50 years. 50 years. And I thought of my dad who was a pastor. And I, and I thought of the many hardships and the many sorrows and the many disappointments and the great challenges and the great cost of the work that he did. And I said, can I do that for 50 years? And I was overwhelmed with fear. Anxiety and worry just about buried me. I, I, I was, it, it was so overwhelming that it was, you know, it was like, no, I'm not going to do this. And then it was, it wasn't a voice from heaven, but it was, it was one of those moments in my life where I knew it came from the Lord. Uh, the words came to me, Tim, I'm not calling you to be a pastor for 50 years. I'm calling you to be a pastor today. Today. And you just take it as today with each new day. 36 and a half years later, even though the work still brings many joys, but also many fears and many tears, God has sustained me in 24-hour increments. 24 hours at a time. 
As many of you know, and I'm not trying to talk about, I'm talking about God here. This is God. I can share a couple of these things because this is the hand of God. This is the grace of God. This, there is no other explanation for it. Many of you know, I've, I've had a all day long, every day, 365 day a year headache for the last almost 30 years. And um, if you had asked me 30 years ago, hey, Tim, do you think you could handle the 30-year headache? It would have killed me. If, if you ask me now, Tim, do you think you can handle 30 years more of a headache? That would kill me. But if you ask me, Tim, do you think God's grace would be enough for you to handle your headache for the next 24 hours? Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. His grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in my weakness 24 hours at a time. One need at a time. Oh, my friends. If you're letting your mind and your heart and your anxious thoughts go into next week, you're not going to make it. If you're thinking, how can I do this? Or how can I fix this? Or this is coming down the pike three weeks from now. And you live in worry over that. Uh, you're never going to make it. But if you look at today and the trouble and the circumstances that are a part of it. And say, is God big enough? Strong enough? Kind enough? Loving enough? Generous enough? To get me through today, ah, oh, your heart will soar in faith. And anxiety will fall off of you. Now, you'll have to do battle with it again two hours from now. Right? Uh, but at least you have the truth with which to do battle with it. These are the five truths that Jesus gives us that strengthen our hearts. Now, you're saying, how do I know? How do I know God's going to come through for me like that? Well, can I, can I just seal it up for you like this? Notice how Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. He says, if my father cares for the birds and the grass, those things that are lesser than you, will he not also obviously provide for you? He argues from the lesser to the greater. He argues from, well, if God does it for the little sparrow, then God is going to do it for the one who bears his image. But the Bible also comes at it from the greater to the lesser. In Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, finish it, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Listen to the logic of the Apostle Paul there. In that passage, the logic is, God has already given you the greatest possible gift he could give. He is 
already paid the ultimate price for you so that you could be his, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be his child. He gave his son for you. And if he gave his son the greatest thing he could give, will he not also give these little things that you need? Surely he will. You know God is going to come through because God has already come through. And you know He's going to come through with the little things because He's already come through with the big one. He's already said, I love you so much and I don't want you to go to hell that I'm willing to give my son to experience the equivalent of hell on the cross so that you don't have to. And if I've done that for you through Him, then yeah, I'm going to put some food on your table. And I'm going to put some clothes on your back. And I'm going to give you grace to get through today's troubles and today's sorrows and today's griefs. Because, hey, God says, I've invested all that already. I've invested my son and his blood in your redemption, in your eternal salvation. I ain't going to lose you now. God doesn't say ain't. I'm not going to lose you now. You're mine. You're mine. And so may it be, may it be that God will give us grace to heed this command. Don't be anxious. And not in a way that says, oh Lord, why do you bind these heavy burdens on us telling us not to be anxious? No, hear the promises and the truths about God that undergird that command and say, oh yeah, knowing what I know about God, I can do this for His glory by His grace. It surely is worth us concluding our worship uh, by sharing communion together. Oh, I was, I was thinking about this as the ushers begin to prepare. I was thinking about this as we were singing earlier. Two, at least three of the songs talked about, spoke of the cost that was paid for us. You're you're blood-bought. And this isn't, as Peter says, this isn't the silver and gold that is part of your redemption. This is the precious blood of Christ. You're blood-bought. You belong to Him. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, God has committed that much to getting you through it. He will hold us fast by His grace. As the ushers distribute the bread and the cup, uh, you can sing along or you can listen, you can bow your head, you can pray, whatever the Lord moves you to do. Just allow these moments to be times where you realize, I don't have to worry because I know He holds me fast. And I know He holds me fast because He died for me already. May it be that God will speak to us in these next few minutes.